Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. I will exalt you. The thing I love about that statement and that song, because it's a declaration. It's not, I might exalt you. It's not, well, it depends on how the day is going. It actually has already declared something. I will exalt you. Did anybody got an I will exalt you spirit in the building right now? Because that's what we need, right? That's what we need. Well, welcome uh, to Bridge and so excited to be here with you to break open the word. And this is our authentic series. Now, uh, just for those who uh, have been here over the last few weeks and know that we've been going through uh, the series in Revelation called Hope Beyond. And uh, that series is still continuing on. Uh, we are still going to be um, re-continuing with that next week. But uh, while Pastor James is out, uh, he and Josh are traveling and kind of, you know, sharing the story of Bridge where, uh, you know, where they are. We're going to just take a little bit of another uh, detour. Um, in this authentic series. And what Pastor James asked us to do was just basically to share what authentically has been in our heart and on our mind. Now, that gives us free reign to do whatever, right? Now, I, I, I have to give a little bit of a disclaimer, though, because there was this uh, vicious rumor going around uh, this week about what I might communicate and preach about, you know, in light of uh, recent events in the movie theater. So, my sermon series will not be, according to what some have heard, the gospel from Wakanda. Um, this is a rumor. These are allegations that are not substantiated. And um, yeah, I, I can't believe they did me like that. Um, got the Eagles jersey and everything. But um, so we're not doing that. But what we are going to talk about today is authentic faith. Authentic faith. And we're going to look at uh, the life of Simon Peter as we talk about that. And one of the reasons why is because outside of Jesus Christ himself, Simon Peter is mentioned and referred to more in the New Testament than anyone else. We get to see his whole entire spiritual journey from his conversion, from a skeptic to a skillful leader in the church. And the thing that when we look and examine the life of Peter, what is resoundingly clear is one of the things that sets him apart is he was authentic. Peter kept it real. And so we're going to look at one of his first encounters uh, with Jesus and to kind of see how this plays itself out, because I believe that many of us are like Simon Peter. Many of us wrestle with the same things that he wrestled with when it comes to trusting with, trusting in and walking with Jesus. Well, now just to set it up a little bit uh, in Luke chapter five, where we're going to be spending our time, uh, Luke, this, this chapter finds us already in progress, progress of Jesus's ministry. In chapter one, we see that uh, Luke, he, he, had, he explains that he has researched diligently 
the accounts of Jesus and has compiled an orderly account of the things that he was uh, he had researched. He interviewed eyewitnesses and, and he, he captured. So as a result of that, Luke's account is probably the most thorough of all of the gospel accounts that we have. And he starts off by announcing and noticing that the angels announced John the Baptist's birth and Jesus's birth in chapter one. It was um, both of those births were miraculous in their own right. We get to see John's miraculous because both his parents were barren. They had not had kids. His uh, mother and father were both advanced in years. And, and yet God does an amer amazing miracle. In Luke chapter two, we see an even more incredible miracle with uh, the virgin birth of Jesus himself. In chapter three, John and Jesus, it fast forwards to their adult ministry. They're now grown up and John the Baptist, the older cousin, baptizes Jesus and then officially announces his public ministry in chapter four. In chapter four, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. He succeed, successfully resists the temptations that Satan has to offer. And then after that moment, he goes to the synagogue, opens up the scroll to Isaiah 61, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, the release of captives, recovery of sight to the blind. And he says, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And now everyone is abuzz. The whole neighborhood, the whole region is like, yo, what's going on next? He starts to heal people at the end of chapter four. And there we find ourselves in chapter five as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word. He was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. You know, a year ago, actually today, a year ago today, I was in Israel for the first time. I got the chance to go with a, a group of church planters and pastors and, and get to know more and, and learn more about uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, is, Israeli history. It was a very fascinating time. And while I was there, I was surprised that my favorite part of the journey, because we did do a lot of sightseeing, was not Jerusalem like I thought, although that was really cool. It was Galilee. And one of the reasons why is because all of a sudden I saw these moments that I had read about for so many years in scripture leap off the page and saw how close they were. It's a beautiful, beautiful region. That's the other reason why. If you see the entire lake um, is surrounded by mountains. And so these mountains that you see, right? So we, we read this in chunks. And so we completely separate uh, when Jesus gives the Beatitudes and, you know, and it says that he's on a mountain and then we turn over and read to him being at the Lake of Gennesaret or Sea of Galilee is two different things. They're like right next to each other. Like the Mount of Beatitudes is like facing at the sea. But that wasn't the only reason why I also saw the proximity. Peter's house was actually right. One of those like little coastal buildings. Peter's house was right there off of the water. It, it's a two minute walk from his house. There's a church that meets there now. And, and all of a sudden you start to see that this stuff isn't just like some stories somebody came up with. Like, they, like there's real addresses, real things that have continued to, um, to be in existence far after uh, the time of Jesus and the apostles. And it was really amazing. And it helped me to get some insight uh, into some of these passages and we'll see here. So, all right, it says that, so the crowd was pressing in on Jesus. And so as a result of that, it says he got into one of the boats, 
which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. Now, the interesting thing here is you go, okay, well, why did Jesus have to like get into a boat because crowds were pressing in on him? One of the things that you see, well, one is kind of obvious that if like there's a whole group of people that's surrounding one person that nobody, the people in the back can't see. So that he has to create some distance. But the other thing that our tour guide explained to us while we were over there that I would have never thought of before was that Jesus was employing some uh, an acoustic technique and strategy. So by going further out into the lake, the sound would bounce off the lake, off the mountains, and would be able to create a natural amphitheater so that everybody could hear. Yes, yes, yeah, it's deep, it's deep. So, so he does that. But notice that he goes from simply standing in a boat to getting into Simon's boat. And it says he didn't ask him to get in the boat. He just asked him to push out a little bit from the boat, from the, from the shore. So I can imagine if there, it said that the fishermen were there kind of cleaning off their nets and they're listening. And I can imagine Simon Peter being like, all right, you know, the rabbi is asking me to do this. So I got to, you know, kind of do it. So he, he pushes out. But then it gets a little deeper. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets <laughs> for a catch. Now, you got to understand, this was not like fishing like This was not that type of fishing. This was called trammel fishing. And it was a very arduous, very laborious process. It took a lot of work and it wasn't something that you could do by yourself. You had a whole crew with you. They would go and fling the nets as far as they could. With the nets had weights on the bottom of it so that they would drag down to the bottom of the water. And then after a little bit, they would laboriously pull and pull the nets back. Now, at the time, you're getting a lot of stuff, right? You're not just getting fish. You're getting, you know, shells. You're getting rocks. You're getting seaweed. You know, probably getting some tires at the bottom of the pool. You know what I mean? You're getting a whole bunch of stuff. But so much, in fact, that this was why they, in the beginning in verse 1, it says that they were cleaning the nets, because clean, like they had to untangle and they had to get all the, rid of all the stuff that was there. And they did this at night. And so, so by Peter, Jesus asking Peter to do this, he, he's asking him to do something very significant. He's asking him to undo all the work that they had just done by cleaning up nets and go and putting the, the net back in the water. And look at Peter's response. He says, Master, Simon replied, We've worked all night long and caught nothing. You see, Peter was a professional fisherman. This is what they did for a living. And he says, Jesus, you kind of got this all wrong. First of all, we tried this already. You do this at night. Secondly, the fish just weren't biting today. And that's just how it is. And you know, it's interesting how we can be a lot like Peter. And telling Jesus, you know what, when it comes to that spiritual stuff, Rabbi, like when it comes to, you know, all of that, like you're good. But when it comes to my profession, 
when it comes to my nine to five, like Jesus, you're going to have to step off because I know what I'm doing here. When it comes to, you know, uh, being like living out my singleness in New York City, Jesus, I'm going to have to like let you take the back seat because you see, I know what I'm doing here. When it comes to dealing with conflict with my roommates, Jesus, yeah, that's cool that you have these ideas and principles, but I know what I'm doing here. The funny thing, though, is that we make such declarations even though it ain't working. <laughs> they caught no fish. And yet and still, we tend to let Jesus teach us about how to get to heaven, but not how to live on earth. We have this sacred, secular divide where we go, okay, well, you know, on, on these list of issues, I'm good. But then on these other things, but it's like God wants it all. But to Peter's credit, he doesn't start, he doesn't end the statement there. He says, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Now, Simon Peter was reluctant. He was hesitant. But he eventually did it. But notice as he did it, he makes this thing. If you say so. You see, he ain't slick. What he's trying to let everybody know is this is not my idea. <laughs> this bad idea of putting the nets back into the water at night and coming up, you know, back in the daytime that we caught nothing is not me. All right, guys, James, John, we good. Andrew, this is not me. This is Jesus. All right. But nevertheless, he does it. <laughs> And look what happens next. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so that the boats began to sink. So this chaos breaks out, right? Like not only do like they're like, wait, whoa, whoa, hey, guys, come, come help. Like the nets are tearing. Now these were nets that were designed to get a maximum number of fish. So the fact that the nets are tearing means that something miraculous has happened that these nets were not even designed to do. All of a sudden the fish are being summoned and they jump into the nets. They're not avoiding them. They're like, yo, Jesus said, come on. So let's go. <laughs> And then once they solved the one problem of the nets breaking because they got more help, now they got another problem. The boats are sinking. And this is what Jesus does when he gets into our boat. All of a sudden, lack becomes provision. All of a sudden, we got different problems now. Before, the problem was I couldn't get any customers. I couldn't get any bites. I couldn't get any clients. Now I got so many, I need to hire somebody. That's, a, that's, that's what happens when Jesus gets in your boat. And you see, this wasn't just some magic trick. This, this, this was a, a assertion of, of, of divinity and deity. You see, there was another time that is written in scripture where God demonstrated power over fish. If you read the book of Jonah, you see that God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. He didn't listen to him. And then he decided to go into the, to the sea, go in the opposite direction. They throw him overboard. God orders, commands a fish to swallow him and then spits him out back on the other side of the shore and say, now go back to Nineveh like I told you to. So what, what Jesus is saying here is that, um, just so you know, like I got, I am control over everything. I'm not just omniscient and I know where the fish are. I'm omnipotent and I tell the fish to get into the boat. That's what Jesus is telling Peter. 
Jesus enters our boat and it changes everything. So I have a question for you. Has Jesus ever entered your boat? You see, I remember when he entered mine. You see, because I, I thought I had it all together. I, you know, it's funny when you, you graduate from high school, you think you know everything that there is to know, right? So I was one of those. That, but more than knowing things, I just was self-righteous. I just thought I was the prototypical standard of what it meant to be moral. I didn't need to lean on religion or God or God forbid Christianity. On top of that, I thought I was climbing up the ladder of success. The problem was the ladder was on the wrong wall. And all of a sudden, I find myself in this position where, oh, you mean to tell me the author of life knows how to deal with my life better than me? And it changed everything. It changed everything. I, my uh, freshman year in college, I ended up trust, trusting Jesus. And, and I remember I didn't even know what that was going to look like. I was getting challenged by a lot of my classmates. Like, how do you believe this stuff? And they were just taking it one step at a time. But the thing that was amazing was that I could sense Jesus' presence with me, leading, directing, steering things. That's what happens when he gets into your boat. So look at what happens next. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish that had take, they had taken. So, so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. You see, they understood what happened. And if you notice, if you go at first, when, when, when Peter addresses Jesus, he says, master, you know, we've toiled all night. And we caught nothing. Now, after he sees what's happened, he says, I am a sinful man. Lord, depart from me. You see, he put some respect on his name. He realized all of a sudden, oh, I was addressing you by the wrong title because there's aspects of you that are clearly different. You are not just an ordinary man. And we talked about this last week when we talked about the importance of reverence and, and, and acknowledging God for who he was. But the, the thing that's so important, this is why we have to take our time when we read the scriptures, by the way, is because there are these subtle things that are happening, even with names that are being observed in this passage, for example. Now, up until this point, Jesus referred, the scripture, this passage refers to him as Simon. This is the first time it says Simon Peter, and there's a reason why. You see, when you look in the Gospels, John chapter 1 is the first time that Jesus uh, is introduced to Simon. And that's his birth name, Simon. That's what his mom and daddy named him. And it's the first thing he does is he sees him and he changes his name. And he says, well, he adds to his name. He says, for now on, I'll call you Peter because you'll be like a rock. And Peter's name meant rock. And from that point on, Jesus would determine how he would address him based on how he was acting at the moment. You see, Peter was unsteady. He was, he was not reliable. He was not dependable. He was very uh, impetuous. And so as a result of that, Jesus calls him Simon Peter, not because of who he was acting like, but because what he was calling him to. And so when he was acting like Simon Peter, the rock, he would call him Simon Peter, but, or he would call him simply Peter. But when he was acting in his flesh, he would call him Simon. Oh man, there's a couple of layers. Y'all not getting this. All right, all right. 
so if you look at Mark chapter eight, um, you know, don't go there, but just reference it for later. Simon Peter, he, when Jesus asked a question, who do men say I am? And they say, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're a prophet, some say, and then he asked, who do you say I am? And it says that Peter says, you are this Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, flesh has not revealed this to you, but God who is in heaven. And he calls him Peter. He says, upon you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. He calls him Peter. Now, Later on in the same chapter, Jesus says, oh, y'all, by the way, since y'all know who I am now, I'm going to reveal to you what's about to happen. Here's the plan. I'm going to go to, we're on our way to Jerusalem. The chief priests and the leaders are going to capture me, arrest me. Y'all are going to run away. I'm going to be killed for your sins. I'm going to resurrect again, and it's all going to be good. All right? <laughs> Simon Peter's like, uh, Jesus, can I have a word with you real quick? Yo, man, you can't be talking like that, yo, because like this, this ain't never going to happen to you. You're, you're, you're not going to die. He rebukes Jesus. Now, I don't know what he was thinking that day. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's like, Jesus, I don't know if you had your quiet time, you know, but, you know. <laughs> and Jesus says, you know, get behind me, Satan, Simon. He calls him Simon at that point because he was acting in his flesh, not in the spirit. In the same chapter. So there's a couple points to this. The first point is that Jesus called him Peter before he ever acted like Peter because Jesus calls us by what he sees in us, not by what we were. He calls us by our potential, not by our past. I know I'm glad that he calls me by what I could be and not what I was. And so he sees that in the power of a name. But then also we see that he addressed him based on how Simon Peter was responding. Was he responding in the spirit or the flesh? To remind him, nope, you're acting like Simon right now. You ain't acting like my boy Peter. But in this moment, he's aware of his brokenness and he says, go away from me because I'm a sinful man. Are you aware of your brokenness? Are you aware of the need that we have for divine intervention in our lives? We live in an era where more, far too often, instead of being aware and embracing the reality that we are sinful and that we cannot um, please God on our own, that we, you know, we live in an era where we just kind of act like that's not true and we just you know, kind of elevate our own sense of human morality and judgment over God. And, and, and this is the problem because in order to have authentic faith, authentic faith is a faith that recognizes that I need, I, I am in need. That, that Christ, I need you. Jesus, I need you. It doesn't say I'm not that bad. Well, you know, because uh, we, we try to act like Jesus is grading on the curve. Like, well, I ain't better as the people around me. So based on that. <laughs> but God, don't gr based on the curve. And fortunately, Jesus doesn't grant Peter's request. But but going back to this thing of holiness, though, but, but there's still this sense of reverence and that it's almost so that like if you're like me, you read this passage you, and you almost can't relate to, to Peter having this sense of reaction to Jesus. Sometimes we're, we're so fast on the other side of the resurrection and now there's grace that we forget to have that sense of awe and reverence in the first place, right? But we have it in other things. We have it in other places. I shared this with our city group earlier uh, last week, but you know, I, when it comes to celebrities, we, we recognize this aspect of, uh, of adoration, even of reverence. It was interesting, uh, recently, uh, Tiffany Haddish was on the Ellen Show, right? And, and, and on the Ellen Show, uh, 
she asked her, she said, um, so, um, hey, I heard you really are into Oprah and like her. She was like, oh man, Oprah, I'm such a huge fan. Like she's like an icon to me and she's just, you know, like our role model. And yeah, I even used to write her when I was like younger. And, and she's like, really? She was like, did, did Oprah ever write back? And she said, no, no, but you know, she's like, well, why didn't she? She's like, I don't know. She was probably busy. She was like, well, you want to ask her? And then like Oprah comes from behind the stage, right? And Tiffany Haddish becomes undone. She's like, eh. I mean, she got the ugly cry. Like, oh my God. And Oprah's trying to calm her down, like, yo, you know, it's cool. Like, we, you're such a great comedian. She's like, oh, Oprah just called me. And she, and there's this reverence because she recognizes she's in the presence of greatness. And that's what it is to be in awe of God, is to be aware of my brokenness that when I'm in the presence of Jesus, I recognize I'm in the presence of greatness. And I am undone. And I say, I need you. I'm aware of the fact that I am utterly lost without you. That's not self-loathing. That's just respect. That's appreciation. But look at how Jesus responds. He says, do not be afraid, Jesus told Simon. He says, do not be afraid. Now, this statement, do not be afraid, is one that we see time and time again in the scriptures. We see it, and usually it's accompanied by when God is calling someone to do great things. In Joshua chapter one, Moses, it says, my servant is dead, and now I'm commanding you to lead these people, over two million people, into the promised land. And and God tells Joshua, haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But that's not the only time. If we fast forward, the people have been in the promised land. They're there, but they've sinned against God. They're about to be uh, exiled. They're about to be uh, overtaken by the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar. And Isaiah is writing this down to the people. And look at what Isaiah says. He says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous hand. The people are told in Isaiah 41, 10, even though they were in the midst of political uncertainty and oppression, he tells them not to be afraid. That's a word for us today. Because I, I, I'm thankful that I can trust in God and not be afraid, even when I don't trust in my elected officials to have any kind of sense or any sanity. But that's not it. In John chapter 14, it says, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus now exerts the same commandment that God the Father does in the Old Testament says, do not be afraid. Now, do you notice the connection with each of these verses why God says not be afraid? He, he doesn't just tell them to do this out of nowhere, but he always says, for I am with you. For I am with you. For I am with you. Because the reality is you plus God is a majority wherever you go. You plus God is a majority wherever you go. The only one we should fear tells us not to be afraid. Do not be afraid is the most repeated commandment in the scriptures. Do not be afraid, Jesus tells Peter. 
Jesus invites us into authentic intimacy in our brokenness. You see, he says in Psalm 51 that a broken spirit and a contrite heart I will not despise. In fact, it is the thing that draws us closer to him because Peter was authentic, because he was honest and real with himself. He could experience greater intimacy with Jesus. And we see this throughout the journey. He's the one that asks him questions. How do we pray? When are you coming back? He's also the one that makes some incredibly boneheaded, foolish statements at the transfiguration. When he, when he sees Moses and, I, and Elijah, you know, like, yo, why don't we just like make some tents and we could just like live up here forever. And it actually says in the scripture and they just kind of looked at him like. <laughs> Jesus is like, you know, he's just he learning. <laughs> but <laughs> it doesn't say that part, but it, that's my holy imagination. But he was authentic and that gives me encouragement because sometimes I have to ask questions and sometimes I say the wrong things and do the wrong things. It is not about being right, it's about being broken. And when I say broken, I don't mean like beyond repair, I mean the sense of being aware of the fact that I don't have it all together and I'm not perfect. No one put their foot in their mouth more than Peter did in the New Testament and yet no one is used more. Um, in dynamic ways. So it says, from now on, this is what Jesus continues, you will be catching people. <laughs> you will be catching people. So he takes this fisherman and says, you know what, in the same way that you have failed and fallen in your own way to catch these fish over this last day until I came into your life, now I am going to elevate your purpose to something that's beyond anything that you could have imagined. You will be catching fish. He takes the mission that Peter was already kind of good at and on, and then he elevates it a notch. Authentic faith in Jesus will elevate, not eliminate your calling and purpose. It will elevate it. Because see, part of the thing that we have fear about, right, is because it's like, okay, if I give this to, to Jesus, if I fully give my life over to God and let him direct it, what are he going to do with it, though? What are he going to do with my hopes and my dreams and my passions and my relationships and that boo? Like, what is he going to do? But here's the reality is that in your current vocation, Jesus isn't there to eliminate your passions. He's there to elevate them so that you see why you're there in the first place. Because if we if, if, if we just are so, so so zealous to cling to things and we're just like tight fisted, we won't be open handed enough to realize that I'm not beholden to any of these people. I don't have to suck up to them. I don't have to brown those. I just have to trust my God and he will supply all my my needs according to his riches and glory. That's what it means to have authentic faith that will elevate. So look at what happens next. It says then they brought the boats to land left everything and followed him. Oh man. Whew. All right. First of all, they had just brought in the biggest haul that they had ever seen in their entire lives. And they were fishermen, which meant that they went about this fishing, like they grabbed fish and then they sold them, right? Like for money. And they had just taken in the biggest haul that they had ever taken. And then it says, Jesus is like, come follow me and I'll make you fishers and men. And if some of us would have been like, oh, but, but first, let me uh, just kind of like sell some of these. Yo, two for five, y'all, two for five, two for five, real quick. Jesus, real quick. Like, <laughs> let me just take care of business real quick. But it says that 
They brought the boats to land, left everything and ditched and just followed him. That's faith. That's saying that God, I recognize the same one that made those fish leap into the boat is the same one that continue to provide our needs when we need to. He's the same one. He's the same one. He, they, they leave everything. But not only do they leave the boats behind and the fish behind, but this was their daddy's business. It says they were Zebedee's sons. Zebedee had a fishing business. Simon's dad had a fishing business. And, they, and so they have to leave their family attachments behind as well in order to follow Jesus. Who or what is God calling you to leave behind? I'm going to let y'all think about that for a second. What is God asking you to leave behind? You see, everyone from your past can't come into your future. Some want you to stay in the boat. And some like it there because they like to eat the fish that they get when you're in the boat. little codependence going on. But it says <laughs> they left everything behind. Now, we get to kind of see the, the ending uh, in the sequel to Luke. Uh, Luke actually wrote a second part called the Acts of the Apostles. And in the sequel, we get to see Peter in the next phase, after Jesus has resurrected, he has ascended and he's given the disciples instructions. He says, look, wait in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes upon you, empowers you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And in Acts chapter two, it says the spirit falls on them and they begin to proclaim the gospel in all these languages all over the world that people can hear. By the way, several of the nations mentioned in that list in Acts chapter 2 are in Africa, including Egypt. So anybody that tries to tell you that the Africans weren't a part of the church from the very beginning, take them to Acts chapter 2. Day one, we're there. End of that commercial. That's a different sermon, but I just had to throw that in there. The nations were there. And look at what Peter's sermon, I mean, I'll just give you a glimpse of it because it's a long message he gives in Acts chapter 2. But it says, now when they had heard this, this is after he had already spoken for the first like 30 verses. It says, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They had heard this message. They had heard what God had done through the people. And now it's like he's bringing it home. And they say, what should we do with this message? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He just looks them right between the eyes. And says, this is what it takes. This is what is the call. And look at what happens as a result of this message. It says, so those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Oh, there was a lot of fish in the net that day. Oh, he did answer his request. He answered the command. He answered the promise and said that you will be fishers of men. And day one, 3,000. Now, I mean, we're kind of killing it at the bridge right now. You know, we're growing and expanding. We ain't see 3,000 a day one. Like, that's, that's, that's like mega church day one. And it just continued to grow from there. Now, 
we had to skip over some of the real parts in this too, and not just to make this simple, neat and clean, but for sake of time. But one of the things that becomes significant is to realize that even after this moment where Peter says, depart from me, because you know, I'm just, I'm a sinful man. We see another moment where Peter actually denies Jesus three times and says, I don't even know this person. Three years later, he's been with them and the pressure gets on and the heat gets hot and he's afraid that he might get executed along with Jesus and he just kind of gets weak in that moment. And even after that, Jesus restores him. He takes him back to the same lake. There, Peter goes fishing again because you know, that's what we do when we feel failure. We go back to the things that we know. We go back to the things that we're comfortable with and that's what Peter did and he found himself at the same lake that the journey started. And Peter, Jesus meets him there and says, do you love me? Then, then go feed my sheep. You're, you're still my guy, Peter. And on the heels of that, after that happens, he sees 3,000. How, how was Peter able to continue on in the midst of such failures? Because he was more in awe of God than he was of his brokenness. And that's what God calls us to be. Be more in awe of God than your brokenness. You see, in that same lake, that same lake, Peter will walk on water. On that same lake, he would see, he would be part of a miracle where 5,000 are fed with a little lunch box. He would heal the sick. He would see the dead raised, but he would also deny Jesus and need to be restored. But he continued on because he was even more in awe of God than he was in his own brokenness. Authentic faith is all-centered faith. It is a faith that, that sees God as, as bigger, but also more gracious, more loving, more real than even us. See, there's a type of self-loathing that is actually self selfish because it's self-oriented but do you realize that God is bigger and able and more gracious to pull you out of even your own failures and shortcomings when I'm more in awe of Jesus than myself I will allow him to enter my boat I'll be authentically admitting my own brokenness and I will allow him to elevate my purpose I can relate to this because God has taken me places that I never thought I'd go when I made that decision to follow him that freshman year. I mean, I, didn't, I wouldn't know after that that I would actually lead other students and do campus ministry for years. I didn't know after that that I would you know, go all over the world and, and, and take music and reuse people, use music to reach people. I, I didn't know that I would be in front of other people proclaiming who he was. But that's because he doesn't show you the full picture. He just says, follow me, follow me. That's all, just follow me. There's a song that says, he calls us out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery in oceans deep, my faith will stand. Will you have the type of faith that is willing to go beyond your own limitations to experience God's unlimitless power 
That's an authentic faith that recognizes who we are and who we need. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for the re realization that you are bigger than our failures. You are bigger than our shortcomings. That God, you get into our boat and you change everything. We open up our lives to you. We want you to take your rightful place as the center and ruler over everything, Lord. Lord, help us to see what you're calling us to leave behind and help us to see the fact that your grace is greater than our weakness. Help us to take the step of faith to walk out even when our feet may fail because our faith can stand in Jesus' name. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.